Welcome to the Music Mindfully Podcast with your host, Aliyah Elliott. This is a place where musicians come to get inspired, to conquer their fears, to overcome self-doubt, and learn to love their music and themselves a little more every day. Let's make music mindfully. Hello and welcome back to the Music Mindfully podcast. This is your host, Aliyah Elliott, and today I am so excited to have a very special guest joining us, Stephanie Hollander. Now, Stephanie Hollander is a professional French horn player as well as an adjunct professor professor at Hartwick College, Bard College, and Duchess Community College. And just in case that wasn't enough, she's also performed with many prestigious ensembles, and she's also a career coach and a private music instructor. Her mission is to help people create careers in the arts while boosting their confidence that it is, in fact, possible to do so. And today, Stephanie is joining us to talk all about freelancing and the mindset required to thrive in this kind of work environment. So let's give a big welcome. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you. I am so excited. And this topic is just so important. So I'm so grateful that you are touching on this. Yes, I am so happy to have you join us. Now, I'm mostly, uh, I mean, I'm a coach and I'm a voice teacher and a piano teacher. So I don't do a lot of freelancing myself at this point in time. Um, so I'm super excited that you're here to be the expert on freelancing and uh, and chat with my audience today all about how to make that work without getting into the the low mindset that can often come with gigging. So um, I, I'd love to ask you, what is your experience being as a freelancing musician? Yeah, I mean, it has come so far. Um you know, when I, so I actually started in school as a music education major and a performance major. Um, and uh, kind of, I ended up dropping the ed degree. Um, and that's kind of when this all kind of spiraled. And, you know, freelancing has been, you know, kind of taking everything and anything possible and, you know, balancing it with pretty much any jobs that I could find to make it all work and be flexible. And um, I'll just never forget that went back to visit um, uh, someone for my, one of my alma maters. And I was so excited to say that about 60% of my income was coming from playing horn. To me, that felt like a huge thing. And they were just like, don't worry, you'll get there one day. And I just was like, but what? But this is what? I'm 60%. It's here. And to them, that wasn't good enough. And that's kind of when I just was like, no, I need to change this mindset for for young people because been there done that and it's it's not easy but it's so doable and so um it's more the norm than people make it out to be absolutely oh my goodness and yes 60 percent is a huge absolutely huge accomplishment when you're making the majority of your income doing something that you absolutely love and that that was your goal like that's amazing <laughs> amazing and i think exactly. Oh, at least I know in the opera world, the the climate for work has changed a lot in the last, you know, 30 years since my professors were all performing. And did you find the same uh, in the in the orchestra world, in your French horn world? Absolutely. And a lot of it also came to kind of choices, too, because 
I could have easily just picked up and moved to the Midwest and probably be pretty successful of finding tons of work with like local regional orchestras and building a big private horn studio of like probably if I was in Texas, easily 30, 40 private students a week. Um, but then that meant moving far away from my family, um, which lives in New Jersey. And so that wasn't on the table for me. So, you know, living in the Northeast is probably more economical and probably harder uh, whirlpool of, of work to get through. But I think if you're resourceful and creative, um, then it's, it's completely doable. But again, it's kind of like what you just said, it's a different mindset and it's definitely changing. And I, um, you know, I think, you know, I teach music appreciation and even just trying to kind of talk about the old norms of attending a classical musical performance versus like, okay, well, how could we try to get younger audiences involved and, you know, blend the two. I think that, you know, as an attendee, in collaboration as a performer is is so um is so parallel with each other yes oh this is so cool i'm so excited for this conversation <laughs> this is going to be so so great and i think you're right that um yeah the music the classical music world is very very much in a time of of shift i'm noticing it on the music education side as well where a lot of things are sort of changing so it's an exciting time it can be a little bit of a scary time too because we're not exactly sure where things are going to land of course but i think that there's a lot of promise uh for anyone who's looking to have a career or just participate in the classical music world at this point in time absolutely so, I'd love to know what are some of the highlights from your own um, freelancing career? Yeah, I would say, you know, what I love about freelancing is the diversity that is involved with it. I love that, you know, one day I can be playing a church gig and then the next day I can be down in Florida playing, you know, um, some big orchestral work. And then the next day playing some chamber, um, you know, jazz music or whatever, um, you know, whatever the energy flows. And I love that it can kind of hit all those different areas and it's never the same and also kind of sometimes it's fun the unpredictable uh unpredictable <laughs> the um when you can you know not being able to predict um of what's coming next so like you know i could you know have three straight weeks of of work and then be down for two weeks um so you know an inconsistent schedule but at the same time it's kind of fun and like oh the last minute can you fill in for this spot oh yeah okay i'm about to drive two hours down this to new york city for a last minute gig and you know speeding down the highway trying to make that you know five o'clock downbeat um <laughs> so it does give kind of a thrill um and I think, you know, for sure, the highlights have been being able to travel, being able to just to meet people for me, who's like a social butterfly and like thrives on, you know, communicating and, and just being with people. Um, I've loved that I've been able to just meet so many people, so many unique people, so many different um, people who I've learned in their freelancing careers are just doing unique and different things. And so um, it definitely just, you know, it doesn't get older, boring at all. Yeah, I totally, totally understand what you mean by having so many different and diverse opportunities, right? Every day is kind of different. It's fresh. It must keep life really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. For sure. But along with that, I'm sure come some trials. Can you speak to some of the things that you've faced as a, as a freelancer? 
Yeah, I mean, quite a few things. Um, one is definitely burnout fatigue. It is exhausting, mm -hmm. especially like living, you know, I live in New York State. And so it requires a lot of driving. So within uh, two years of my of owning a car, um, I've put in good over 90,000 miles. And wow. so um, that kind of shows just how much you're in the car. Like I used to make a joke that I'm like, why am I paying rent? I live more in my car. I eat in my car. I, you know, <laughs> I practice in my car. I change in my car. Um, and so it does get exhausting. And then like, you know, also with freelancing, you're trying to pick up so many work because you're, you're working from paycheck to paycheck and like that inconsistency. And so, you know, I'd be up at like 5am working at the YMCA and membership and then running to teach adjunct and then running to rehearsal and then running for a performance. And you're like going like 12, 13 hour days. Um, and again, as I said, we're some weeks and, you know, it's pretty predictable of which months are going to be harder um, than other months. Uh, and so but that really does a wear and tear on your body, on your mindset, um, the stress that knowing that rent's coming up and then like some gigs, you know, is a paycheck going to come in time? Um, when are we going to get paid? Um, you know, those are kind of some battles. And so, um, and then also when I finally became a mother, I have two kids. Um, I have a three-year-old and I have a five and a half month old. And so, you know, that was a whole new thing too. Like getting called with like 48 hours notice, maybe less. Oh my God, can I find childcare? Because I don't have any family near me. So it's like, well, I want to make this gig work. I don't want to suffer as a musician just because I became a mother. And so it's like, how am I going to balance this and make this work? And so those have been kind of some of the bumps in the road that really do take wear and tear again, as I said, physically and, and mentally. Wow. Yeah. This is really eye-opening and I can totally see, right. There's so much balance that needs to be found in some way in this sort of chaotic uh, spur of the moment um, and schedule, right? That comes with freelancing. And of course, you're doing that on top of other regular work, which just, you know, adds some more pieces to that big puzzle. And of course, being a mom is a full time job. So you have definitely got your hands full. So I know that some of the um, some of the work that you do is also helping other musicians navigate this world um, as professional musicians. So what are some of the tools that you use or that you um, teach to your own clients to help them thrive in this kind of environment where everything is changing all of the time? Yeah, I think the first thing is distinguishing what are your goals and defining your level of success. So if we go back to my story of when I said I was making 60% of income playing music, mm -hmm. and that was a goal for me, right? That was a level of success. No, I wasn't at the 100% there yet, right? But I think in each individual circumstance, it's always going to be unique and different. So if you added one private student to your private student caseload, that's one more thing you had from the previous year. So that's a goal and that's a success. And I think giving yourself a pat on the back for those accomplishments um, in like, you know, maybe it's just what's fitting in that time and that moment in the present um, is what you really need to kind of lean on. Also, um, when I work with people, it's really honing in on what are your passions? What are your skills? So, right. you know, if you're someone that's 
really passionate um, about culture and you know you're able to um, engage in conversations in another language well then you know use that passion and that skill to create something unique and different so but your kind of tool to do that is through music so maybe you can create some type of lineup or performances of like performances around the world and then you're you know um you know, uh, hiring someone to kind of create a piece, a composition that inquires transcription of a different language. And then you're, you're honoring that culture and that language and you're incorporating it through music um, because that also allows you to, to be able to kind of navigate with like local employers or local organizations that might have the funding that might be able to help sponsor and help support you, which is also kind of usually a, a, um, an issue that some people will say, well, I don't have money to, to put this on, but you know, there's people that you can find in the community, find to kind of work with. And then the other thing that I always kind of hone in on too is your quality of life. So it's like, like I said, I could have easily moved up to the Midwest where probably rent would might be cheaper. You know, I may be able to kind of focus more on just fully teaching privately and playing with lots of regional orchestras but I knew that I want to stay here. So what does that mean for me? Well, I don't want to be in the city in a closet apartment. I enjoy a little bit more space. And so I do understand that that is going to be needing to kind of put a little bit more leverage ahead of, you know, what I might be normally doing so that I can definitely make that work. Um, and I'm aware of that, but that's my own personal choice because I know that that's something um, mentally important to me. Yes. Oh my goodness. There's so much to unpack here. So if you don't mind, we're going to go back to the very first point you made about goal setting and that being different for every single person and celebrating all of the small wins along the way. Now I say small wins, but I really shouldn't call them small. <laughs> Everyone is a win and the size of the win doesn't really matter because the feeling that we get when we actually celebrate our successes along each step of the way, it makes it so much easier to keep going. Mm -hmm. Right. And Absolutely. this is true in freelancing. And like, I experience this with my students in my own business all of the time, right? When we take the time to celebrate those, those wins along the way, it makes all of the, the tough times a lot easier because you know that you've done it before. Exactly. It's so true. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I was just talking with a friend today a little bit about this and, you know, um, it's, there are always going to be some type of obstacle. We can't predict the future of anything, but you do, you just have to kind of reflect, well, this was a bump in the road. I got through this and now I'm going to get through the next chapter and the next adventure. And, you latch on and I think trying to find that positivity. And that's the hard part is where people can try and see the positive out of something. So, you know, maybe this gig, um, you know, didn't supply all the funds that you needed. Maybe it felt like such a waste of time, but maybe you connected with one person there and that opened another door that you wouldn't have if you've never taken that gig. Um, and, you know, and that's where the positive comes and that's worth more then, okay, the waste of gas money, the the waste of time, and, you know, maybe I should have taught a private student instead of taking this, like, $40 gig um, kind of situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that learning, too, right? So not even just, you know, that we all know that 
one gig can always lead to another because we are constantly networking and making all those connections. But maybe in that experience, even if it was kind of a negative experience, we can learn something about ourselves as musicians, about what we value, about what lights us up, about the things that we really don't want to spend our time doing. And that is often, I find, just as valuable to learn what you don't want to do as it is to learn what you do want to do. It all helps bring clarity, um, which brings us to your next point, which is creating opportunities where you are with what you've got right now. Um, and I think that that is super, super cool. And you were talking about being able to find funding by sort of thinking outside the box a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, are you able to speak a little bit more to that? I know I'm sort of throwing this at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's like what you have to go do some kind of, you know, research too. But like, Sometimes there's, you know, a lot of grants available just like within your own community. Um, sometimes it's finding all these kind of small nonprofit organizations because a lot of times nonprofits are applying for grants. And so maybe something that's within their grant is something that you can do. So to give an example, um, like I said, I used to work for the YMCA. And at one point I was toying with this idea of trying to collaborate with them because they ran a before aftercare program. And so mm. in one of the grants, it was about educating on music. So I offered to bring music lessons to the students. So, um, you know, and doing kind of music programming. So it wasn't necessarily, again, maybe the like, strongest thing that I wanted to do, but it was a way for me to create an opportunity for myself, a way to kind of spend an hour at least doing teaching versus an hour just sitting behind a desk collecting membership cards. Um, so it was more something towards what I wanted to do and an experience that I'm able to add to my bucket, right? So whether it's short term or long term. Um, and again, it's, you know, it, you know, maybe there's a lot of churches in your area and, you know, maybe you are able to kind of outreach to them and start the conversations of, you know, are you looking for music for your service? You know, how can I be of help? Or, you know, maybe you're someone who thrives on, I don't know, music from some historical period and you know someone who's big into the history and jointly you guys can put on lecture series that you guys can start to brand yourself together and create something and be able to kind of start to showcase it and and bring it to the table um farmers markets are also big opportunities it's really common now that a lot of farmers markets are always looking for artists and sometimes they're paid and sometimes they're not but it's a really great way to have exposure i remember when i was waitressing and also selling wine at the farmers market they were the best times of my life that I able to kind of was able to find opportunities I would keep my business card in my apron while I was waitressing and one of Brilliant. my customers he was um some big title from the culinary institute and so I was like well anytime you want music well because he had a you know appreciation for me he hired me to come play music for some French benefit that they had and you know it was a French champagne event that's what it was and, you know, I'm part of, we got to play holiday music and I got dinner and champagne and hey. it was a great time. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're right that there are opportunities literally anywhere, right? And um, I think so often, especially, um, I, I know when you're first starting out, it can seem like, okay, well, you need to go and talk to the big orchestras or the opera companies or depending on your instrument, of course. Um, 
and reaching out to the organizations that are already doing stuff that already have opportunities lined up, right? And those things are generally very, very, very competitive. It doesn't mean that they're not an option by any means, mm -hmm. but there is so much more opportunity to be had when you're willing to be creative and come up with something that's unique. Because when we're doing that kind of work, A, it can be really fun. And um, maybe you'll get to play things that you otherwise wouldn't get to play. Um, or you can do things that are really, really, really exciting for you professionally, right? You were talking about doing a lecture series with like a musicologist who's studying sort of your favorite period. I think that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And people are always looking for something different. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, to give another example of something that I'm personally working on this summer that I want to uh, create as a goal and um, is I had these these works, um, I paid a composer to, to, to transcribe and commission um, these Ladino works, which is like the Jewish diaspora in Cuba. And it's a dead language of, of, of um, Hebrew and Spanish. Cool. And so I have these works sitting there that I haven't been able to perform yet. And what I really want to do is I want to be able to perform them and also make it into a night of salsa dancing. So the, the community that I currently live in does not have much of that type of atmosphere going on. And um, I was able to find another artist who she specializes in salsa dancing. And so her and I are meeting to kind of collaborate to see how can we bring this? How can we make this happen? That sounds so cool. I wish I lived in New York. <laughs> I would be there with bells on. That sounds so, so cool. And again, that's something that, you know, you wouldn't have found an audition poster for, right? This is something that you have to create yourself and you're still, you know, ironing out all the details and that can be a little bit more work, but it, I imagine it, that it's so, so fulfilling when you finally get to performance time and you're like, we did this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And that leads us beautifully into the last point, um, which was your own quality of life, mm -hmm. right? Your own quality of life. Everyone is going to have different professional goals, different personal goals. Um, so even going back to when you said, you know, like I'm making 60% of my income from playing, like that's amazing. And to some people that would be like, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I want. And then obviously whoever you spoke to is like, oh, well, you're not making 100% of your income yet like that. I'm, it, It'll be okay. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that only, only I'm using air quotes here. Um, <laughs> only 60% isn't the dream for another human being. Right. So as we're balancing work life and our home life, finding all of those, um, all of those comfort spots. And I don't mean like our comfort zone, but what feels good, what our own semblance of balance is, um, is, is really, really, really important. And those things might shift. I don't know, have, have they shifted for you, especially since becoming a mother? Absolutely. So <laughs> It's so funny because 
I've been on the fence. Like I keep going back and forth all the time. I'm like, all right, do I want to go the professional musician route, like full time? Do I want to go the, do I want to finally get my doctorate route so I can finally become a full time um, higher ed faculty teacher? Um, you know, currently now that I'm doing what I'm doing, do I want to keep sticking with this? Do I want to get back onto the audition scene? Constantly kind of reevaluating. Um, but I do know that um, I did have to at one point make a, a decision and we and we talk about this when I'm when I'm working on career advising with my students. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing and the important thing is to first choose a geographic location that you want to be a part of, because, you know, I could easily there's some auditions that I've seen in like Iowa for like a thirteen thousand dollar a year for concert series um, that I could probably easily do. But I was like, I could be local, not have to constantly be traveling and make $13,000 uh, picking up an adjunct uh, teaching job position at a college. Um, and again, okay, great. I would be able to, to perform for concert series, but I personally don't want to travel. And especially now with my kids, um, you know, that's not something I'm kind of willing to do at this point. Um, so that's a decision on me. But there's some people that are okay with that. There are some people that are okay with traveling with their kids. I personally dread the car ride with my <laughs> kids, you know. Um, but there's some people that are totally okay with that. And, you know, I think that's what it is. It's just like, if that works for you, then go ahead, do it. You be you. Um, and that's awesome. And I admire that person. Um, you know, and it's just like, for me, I knew that a little bit more stability is what I personally needed. But, you know, that might shift again. What, you know, I've been going through some, you know, mental health kind of realizations myself. And so trying to kind of work on that and figure out what is the top priority right now um, is what's been needed for me. And then that might not be what the priority now might not be the priority in a couple years. So it's constantly this kind of rebalance, reevaluation. Um, and there's no shame or, or anything about what's better for one person or not. Um, you know, my one friend and I, we have very different lifestyles and that's okay. You know, she's, she's thriving in what she's doing and I'm thriving in what I'm doing. And it makes us no different of whether one's succeeding or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it is so easy again, especially at the beginning of your career to be like, I'm going to be a performer or I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to be an academic, right? We sort of put ourselves in these boxes when there are so many different combinations of things and it, it doesn't even all have to be music, right? And that can still be incredibly fulfilling. Yeah, and I think also the reality that a lot of people kind of miss upon is that the reality is, is even if you do choose to be a full-time, let's say, orchestral player, you're not always just a full-time orchestral player. You're always wearing multiple hats. You might be involved in the audition committee. You might be involved in, um, you know, helping out with educational outreach because you have some education background. Um, you know, let's step into the adjunct scene, into the higher education scene. You might be, you know, teaching in a classroom, but they might also be asking you to kind of help with some type of student group on campus, or they might be asking you to, um, uh, fill in in a different spot. So I think the reality is no matter what field, you're wearing multiple hats. And I think some people kind of forget that, but that is the reality. And that is what we're kind of seeing more, um, especially in all the different areas. And again, as I advise students as a career coach, 
that's definitely bottom line, you know, it's when you take a major, I think the best way to kind of think of it is that you're building skills. So whether you're a music education major, whether you're a performance major, whether you're arts administration, if you view that major as like the skills that you're kind of defining to kind of build and put under your resources, then that makes you eligible. So let's say you're music education. Well, then great. Maybe you can, um, if you're also really great into writing, you can help write different curriculum for orchestras and their educational outreach programming. Um, if you're into kind of the business side and you're really kind of hinting like, I kind of want to do this law thing, well, then you can become a law, um, a lawyer for musicians. So it's, it's again, it's these skills and how they kind of all attribute together to, um, to kind of build these different kind of uh, careers that um, people don't think of. I personally did that when I was in school. I knew I did. I want, I love teaching. I love it. Um, I knew public school wasn't this. I come from a line of public school teachers. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. <laughs> I was the black yeah. And I knew that public school was not what I wanted to do because for a lot of different reasons, I am very creative and I knew that public schools, there's creativity, but there's some very kind of hard stops that you need to like kind of follow. Absolutely. And so that's when I found LC STEMA programs and I figured out, you know, social change through music. And I started, um, you know, kind of following a couple different programs and kind of getting involved. And I, for a while, I thought that that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to start my own LC STEMA program. Um, but, you know, that is when, you know, teaching artists uh, kind of came um kind of opened my eyes of an outlet of something to do and realized that it doesn't have to be so linear. Um, it's mm -hmm. more just gaining these skills and where you can apply it to. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love this. Also, you have such an interesting career. I love it. <laughs> you should really write a book someday. <laughs> um, I think there's lots to, lots to learn. Um, absolutely. Right. And, and I loved what you said about choosing a major and viewing that not as your like tried and true linear path but as the sort of bucket of skills that you're building. I think that that is so incredibly valuable to think of. Both of my degrees are in performance and here I am being, you know, a music educator <laughs> all of the time. And I do not at all regret being a performance major. And I know that I learned so many skills. I mean, I still perform sometimes, but um, I, I learned so many things in a performance um, degree that I would have missed out on in music ed. And I'm sure that there are lots of things in a music ed degree that would be really valuable to me now. But also our education doesn't stop after school, which is amazing, right? It's all part of this, this beautiful journey that we're on as musicians, whether you're freelancing or, or really doing anything, we all are wearing different hats and all following different roads all of the time, which is just part of what makes it so much fun. <laughs> honestly <laughs> yeah and you just put off a light bulb for me to really that also that I really try to emphasize when I work with when I go lecturing is that age is nothing but a number in mm -hmm. that you know it doesn't matter for me light bulbs didn't go off until I was 27 I feel like you know and I think that's the typical number um just like psychologically of how humans maturely develop brain-wise and um it definitely was for me. I matured on a different later end. Like I was 27, 28. And then I was like, ah, man, I'm a little late to the game. And my teacher was like, most people don't win their big audition until their late thirties, early forties. And then that fixed my vision because then I started 
freelancing and I said, wow, I'm one of the younger ones here. So mm -hmm. like you just said, it doesn't stop right when we end school. It does continue, but it continues in a different way. And then if you continue in a different way and then decide to go back to school, that's okay. You know, everyone's different. And especially when I'm working with students, you know, talk, talking about graduate school, and that's a big mm -hmm. question nowadays, right? Because master's, I don't know about in Canada, but master's degrees in the States right now are becoming pretty normalized of a requirement for a lot of jobs. And um, even for auditions, I've seen some where you're, it's, it's a requirement to have a master's and um, but then some students are like, well, I can't afford it right now. And I'm really right. burnt out from four years. I'm one of the personal ones that if I didn't stay through school, I don't think I would have ever gone back. So I have right. four performance degrees because I'd stay consecutively in school for nine years. But, you know, and that's not fitting for everyone. And that's that's OK. But I know for me personally, with my go getter mindset, and, you know, I always remind people that being in school is a very different mindset than being outside of school, because then Absolutely. you're in that student mindset versus working mindset. Um, and so, you know, but I have a colleague uh, that I went to school with. She was my roommate, all undergrad. And um, she said that she loves that she worked for a while as a music teacher in Shanghai before she went to graduate school, because um it allowed her to kind of have the opportunity to kind of really understand the contents and, yes. and, and apply it. So, um, so there's kind of these different aspects, but you know, again, age is nothing but a number. So I just, anyone listening, I don't want you to think that you're too late to the game or, you know, it's never going to happen because you just never know and just don't put your, your age to it. <laughs> Absolutely. There is no one size fits all approach. Exactly. It really isn't. Oh, yes. So, so beautiful. So we know that age is definitely one of the blocks that comes up. Um, but when you're talking to your students, what are some of the big blocks and challenges that you see them running up against when it comes to building their career in the arts as they're, as they're leaving school? Mm. Um, a lot of it, people are fearful about money. Um, you know, they're fearful that uh, the job in the arts is not going to supply them enough funds that they're not going to have, you know, the benefits and in all that, you know, we have some students in like the business realm that can walk out of here making 60,000 a year with full time benefits um, versus some people in the arts that might be entering into 24,000 a year um, with mm -hmm. no benefits. Right. Um, but I think that, again, that is when you have to kind of do a little bit of budgeting work and start to figure out, okay, um, well, if you're making $24,000, we'll start to put a budget sheet. And when I say a budget sheet, you include everything and anything. So your rent, your utilities, um, your your cell phone bill, your, um, you know, any type of, you know, Wi-Fi. But even to the T, like for me personally, I love to splurge on iced coffee every day. If I don't have iced coffee every day, I feel angry. It's not that I need coffee. It's just that's <laughs> my personal, like, indulgement. Like, I love it. And it gives me such a satisfaction. So I put that into my budgeting. I'm like, all right, $2.50 every day for my iced coffee because that's what I need. Um, I'll put, like, 
$50 a week aside for socialization, just to go out to dinner with someone, because these are important things that I know that I personally need. Um, you know, maybe for someone it's, I want to put $30 a week for three Zumba classes because I need to get out and exercise and do Zumba. Um, so incorporating these into your budget sheets and actually seeing what the number is really enlightening because sometimes in our heads we're thinking, okay, this is manageable or not manageable, but to see what you actually spend each month and compare to what you're making um, is really eye-opening. I also think that the other kind of uh roadblock is is again thinking outside of the box and not being so linear so um and you know and also being resourceful i find that within the arts and, and other careers too but particularly arts it is a lot of who you know um right. and so really being kind of just bold and confident of just getting out there and networking, um, you know, going to different lectures, going to different seminars, following up with people after you attend a, a lecture or a seminar um, or a recital, just going to recitals and just right. like, you know, after the recital, following up, oh, that was such a beautiful performance. I can't wait to, to you know, do this. You know, by the way, I'm in the area. If you ever want to get together and play duets, let me know because that type of, um, Kind of you know that type of communication is going to lead a door to potentially playing duets and having fun and then because they enjoy you as a person and they loved hearing you play that's going to open another set of doors absolutely and maybe not even with that person but maybe they're you know they've got their ear to the ground and hey suddenly someone they know is looking for a french horn player exactly and here we are right they can connect you Absolutely. And I know we've talked a lot about the the nonlinear approach. And I think that that is so important. Um, and I, I absolutely understand the fear around finances um, as being a big barrier. Um, and I think that that is these two things, again, can go hand in hand, right? You talked about how when you were first starting, and I know when I first started my studio, we didn't necessarily just do the one thing like I worked in a restaurant and I taught a few nights a week right and it was just this weird balance or actually the first year out of grad school I worked in an agricultural firm <laughs> doing desk work and I talked to farmers all day and it was a little soul-sucking to be honest but it allowed me to you know have that time to really decide what I wanted to build. And I had free evenings and benefits and, you know, ways to sort of get get my feet underneath me after being in school before, um, you know, taking the leap and eventually just being like, well, hopefully the money works itself out. <laughs> I don't always Absolutely. recommend that approach, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I remember. Um, also, one thing I had a challenge was, um, the place that I lived in didn't allow me to practice. And oh, so, wow. yeah. yeah, that was hard. And uh, so trying to be resourceful of where I could practice. And so um, I remember posting on a local Facebook group and this woman responded because I said I was looking for a place to, to practice and I put in kind of like what I could potentially spend to like rent or whatever. Um, this woman approached me and said, listen, I own a furniture company. If you're willing to do the social media, for my furniture company you can practice in our showcase room it was like at her house and so i did i got to teach and practice at her space and 
kind of sucked because I had to keep driving back and forth, but whatever, made it work. Um, and in exchange, I did her social media. So that exchange allowed me opportunity to practice, but also gave me some more experience to add under my belt of doing social media promotion for a furniture company. Yes, which of course you could then apply to your own social media, right? But <laughs> marketing, doesn't matter what you're marketing, it's all very much the same. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think like, more and more people are excited to barter and exchange skills, especially I think as we're entering sort of a, a recession, um, I think there's going to be more and more bartering happening um, because money is tight in a lot of situations. So um, again, just being creative and open to any opportunity is definitely helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So how, okay. No, I lied. <laughs> if you could go back and talk to like a younger version of yourself when you were just starting out, what are some of the things that you know now that you wish you'd known then that you would impart to that person? You know, I had to think a lot on this question because I was like, wow, because I'm such a different person than when right. I started. And the reason I'm a different person is just because of life experiences. Um, you know, the same person that stepped on campus in University of Cincinnati when I was a freshman, 18 years old, 11 hours away from home, is not the same person that I am today by any far stretch. And so I really had to think about this. And then what I came to decide on was I would tell myself, you have your whole life to commit. And the reason is there were opportunities that I turned down being in school. And it's funny because now as I advise college students, I'm constantly like, take that travel abroad, travel abroad opportunity, you know, join that student organization group, you know, do this and this and this while you have the time, while you can to just have fun, but also have that to offer to on the table. And there were a lot of things that I did not get involved with because I felt that I was a better chance that I should just be in the practice room three, four hours a day. Um, you know, like I didn't do any a lot. I mean, I was involved with Hillel, which is a student organization group on campus. But, you know, knowing that there was tons of student clubs that I could have got involved with, I, sh I should have done that. Um, you know, I had a chance to go to Costa Rica for alternative spring break. I turned that down for a gig. And now thinking back on it, I'm happy I did the gig. But at the same time, I really wish I went to Costa Rica. Um, I really wish I took advantage of the travel abroad opportunities. Um, so things like that. Um, be, but I would turn them down because I felt that my priority had to be music. My priority had to be prepping for an audition or practicing for my recital or, you know, anything like that. But that in retrospect, I have my whole life to kind of focus on those aspects. and. I don't have the whole life on me. I guess I do hypothetically, right? But in the short run, those opportunities that were presented on the table that were unique and different, I wish I've, I wish I did. So. That is such amazing advice. Such incredible advice. Because I think you're right that it can be so easy to sort of put the blinders on and get your head down and really get to work. Um, 
you know, with the goal of being a professional musician, whatever that means, right? <laughs> yeah. Ahead of you. And, you know, we're, we're told that these are the steps you have to take and it's grueling and you have to put in your 10,000 hours and you have to do this, 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 this. But I, I think you're right that there are lots of other things that we can experience that are still going to enrich your life as a musician. And we're humans first. We're humans yeah. first. And I think that in music, something like the magic of music is being able to explore that humanity and express our experiences in a way that doesn't necessarily use words. So yeah, exactly. having those experiences is so powerful. Yeah, I just remember like, I also just, my younger self, if I could tell them like the wasted practice time, because like, like I didn't have an approach of how to efficiently practice. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was wasting three, four hours a day, but was I really getting anywhere? No, because I wasn't setting specific goals. I wasn't setting a specific time frame or a specific, you know, recording myself and really honing in for like 20, 30 minutes. Cause honestly, what you can do in 60 minutes, you can do in 20, 30 minutes if you're being efficient and focused. And, um, and the rest of it is just more just kind of muscle training, if anything, but that real yeah. mental training really kind of 20, 30 minutes and, and that's it. And, um, so I kind of wish that I could have told myself that you will be okay because I'm lucky nowadays with two kids and if you know full time job plus more. I'm lucky if I get to practice like 30 minutes is like a dream, right? So a lot of it is mental training, and I wish I had utilized that more in school because then I would have maybe progressed faster. I feel like I progressed on the later side than most. Um, but you know that's okay. That's a you know again everyone develops differently and and uh that's that's how it is absolutely absolutely and practicing is something that i've talked about on this podcast before so if you're listening and you're like oh yeah my practice skills could do some help just scroll down the feed you'll find it it was one of the very first episodes we did was all about mindful practicing um and yeah that that efficient use of time i mean time is our most valuable resources a resource it's non-renewable and yet so often it's so easy to just sort of like squander it away <laughs> right and, yeah. and we might think that we're being really productive because we feel busy but busy doesn't always mean that you're actually taking the appropriate steps to get to whatever your goal is exactly um, yeah but i think that that's also great learning right that um I, I know, again, I, you're mostly advising students, right? So as you're chatting with students, knowing that it's okay, that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to make decisions that later they'll, they might think, oh, that was, you know, maybe not what I actually wanted to do, or oh, I should have gone to Costa Rica. And that's okay. And that is all part of the learning experience. And I don't know that those, those moments of indecision and those moments of conflict um, really ever go away? No, I don't think so. <laughs> they don't. But, you know, I think that's when you have to kind of reflect, you make a choice and, uh, you know, you go with it. And I, I think living in regret is wasted energy. It's mm -hmm. negative energy. And so you can't regret anything you've done. You have to talk it up as an experience. An experience is what gives you to just kind of walk away and, 
it gives you time to kind of reflect and say, I want to do this differently or to reflect and say, I'm going to keep this the same. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that beautifully brings us back to the very beginning when you were talking about that quality of life. Mm -hmm. Right. So the decision that you make today, you might look back on five years from now and be like, why did I decide that? But today, that is what you needed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I cannot tell you. I'm currently trying to buy a home. And it's crazy because I feel like I'm predicting, especially when my son's involved, I'm like predicting a future. I'm like, I could provide them this type of lifestyle. Or if I go with this route, it's going to be a whole completely different lifestyle. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Um so it's a lot of uh, back and forths, but I, I know that I'll make a choice and then, you know, reflect down the road and see where it's at. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think something that can be so helpful when we're in those situations is looking back at what, you know, Stephanie 10 years ago would have thought about where you are now. And the fact that, you know, maybe it was 10 years ago, I'm not exactly sure, um, that you weren't even allowed to practice in the place that you were living. <laughs> Right. And now you're talking about buy, buying a home and the uh, environment in which you're going to be able to raise your children. Like that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it's exciting because it's like, finally, I could have a spot that I know will be like a dedicated studio practice space. And I think that's also been a personal challenge of, you know, on top of COVID, just like mentally, I, I don't have a designated spot to like practice. And so it's been hard to like motivate myself more. And right. so I'm really excited. It's like giving me the motivation to say, okay, I'm in the slump right now, but I know what to look forward to. And I know that I'm just going to get back on track. And so I'm being soft and easy on myself knowing that right now I'm not doing all the hard work that maybe I should be, but I'm saying that's okay. Because, you know, in a short term away, when I'm you know, physically and mentally ready, it's going to be there and it's, it's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as we are coming sort of out of the pandemic or into this stabilization of the pandemic or whatever it is, <laughs> at the time of recording, it's June, 2022. Um, <laughs> and everything is sort of it seems to be, you know, opening up, things are sort of coming back to normal, but there's still a little bit of trepidation, at least in my area of Canada. Um, you know, do you have any advice to freelancers as they're coming back into sort of this performance world after COVID? Yeah, it's, uh, and it's funny, I actually really did have someone reach out to me and it was hard because they were trying to find contacts and I pretty much was like, Oh, well, truthfully, I said I was pretty much that like last minute, oh, shit person. I'm like, oh, no, I just got called for a gig. Can you please cover me? And those people's because they're limited on work weren't calling. So it's like this domino effect. Right. But I think you said it, um, you know, things are starting to open back up. And that is actually the prime time because some people have actually decided they've used this opportunity to say, I'm going to walk away from this field. I'm perfectly happy and content doing this. And so I think just kind of the old fashioned, getting your name out there, contacting all the personal managers of, you know, orchestras or 
whatever group sending your resume along um, and saying that you're available and ready. And especially with COVID, because um, I know some groups that have been paying people to be an emergency backup. They're paying like $500 because of COVID and a lot of people still having COVID, uh, COVID protocols. Um, people that have been like, you know, obviously tested positive like the day before the concert, um, they've been having these backup people and they've been desperate to find people. So I think this is the prime time to really start to kind of find the con the, the, the hiring managers for these groups and get your name out there. Um, start to contact principal players. I mean, I'm, I'm talking more in the orchestral realm but you know i'm sure a lot of it is pretty applicable in like either musical theater or or voice or um any other genre just finding those kind of those focal people and getting your name out there and then again as we've kind of said already before this is also your opportunity to start something new and fresh this is your opportunity to kind of do a trial and error and um and I, I think actually the, the, the good thing is that people say there's not a lot of money because of COVID, but I think there's a little bit of difference because people have gotten more funding to kind of help them. And so I think kind of, again, you got to be resourceful and, and intuitive of, of where those, those, those out, where those, um, where those opportunities are. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Right. There's so many opportunities and there's, I love the way that you're looking at sort of this reemergence of the arts. Um, and you're right that I think there is definitely a lot of boost going into the arts. People miss it too. Audiences are hungry to come mm -hmm. and listen to some music. Um, so I think that uh, there is, again, there's going to be a big shift happening. Um, so for new, new uh, additional musicians coming onto the scene, this is a great time. Or for people who, like you, have been on the scene for a long time and maybe want to reestablish or, you know, move in a different direction. This is a really, really exciting time. Yeah, I personally had to reconnect. You know, there was some groups that kind of start stopped getting called for. And I just reached out to the principal player and I just said, essentially, did I do something wrong? Do I need to come play for you again? And it just was because of so much change of personnel. And I can tell you, I'm actually, I, I haven't added this as another thing that I do. Um, I'm actually a personnel manager for an orchestra. And um, amazing. And, and so from that side, I can't tell you that the back, you know, the, kind of the drop offs of the previous people, right? And not having those contacts to reach out to so the the transfer of information that gets lost so i think that's a valuable thing to know and in this case of me personally um on the sub list it was an example of that it was some type of just transfer of information that did not go properly and so i checked in and i'm glad i checked in because then that principal player was able to kind of check in on it and fix the situation. And it was nothing personal. It was, it was just, you know, this kind of thing. So, you know, I think for anyone listening out there, it's a good idea to, as you kind of just said, reestablish and just kind of reconnect. Um, you know, don't just be on the sidelines waiting, just, you know, reconnect and say, hey, you know, I'm still in the area. Hey, I'm still available um, uh, kind of situation. Yes. And the worst that's going to happen is they're going to be like, oh, no, we don't have work for you right now. Right? Like, that's that's it that's yeah. the risk <laughs> but at least right? they have your name and they know you popped up again 
Exactly. They know that you're still around and that you want to be creating art. This has been such an exciting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know that this is going to help so many of my listeners. Um, so I'm sure that they are dying to connect with you, um, especially those in the New York area might be looking to come and see you perform whenever you hit the stage next. So where can my audience find you on this beautiful place we call the Internet? Yeah. So, um, you know, we talk about branding. So I have branded myself. I have a website, hollanderhorn.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn as Stephanie Hollander. Um, or you can always email me. I'm very responsive, maybe too responsive on my email, uh, hollanderhorn at gmail.com. Awesome. And her website is amazing. You'll find lots and lots of cool information and different ways to get in touch with Stephanie. So I definitely recommend you go check it out. Thank you again, Stephanie. This was so, so wonderful. And I cannot wait to uh, keep following your journey and seeing where your path might lead. No, thank you. I am so glad that you, you know, you work with your listeners to kind of educate on all these topics that you're, you're educating on. They're so important. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this with you today. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. And we will keep in touch. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Music Mindfully podcast. Did you have an aha moment? Did something really resonate with you? Be sure to let me know. Screenshot this episode, share it on social media, and don't forget to tag me at Music Mindfully. I would also love to chat with you, so feel free to hop on into my DMs. I cannot wait to connect with you on the next episode of the Music Mindfully podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss out. Until then, go make music mindfully. <laughs>